Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Serial Box. Serial Box delivers addictive book content in short listen or read installments designed to fit into today's fast-paced mobile lifestyle. Switch between listening and reading with a single click, picking up right where you left off. Learn more at SerialBox.com, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. I'm thrilled to be interviewing Kathy Goosewhite, the Emmy-winning creator of the Kathy comic strip that ran in almost 1,400 newspapers for 34 years. Kathy's book, 50 Things That Aren't My Fault, is amazing and so funny. Kathy currently lives in California. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Hi. I'm great, Zibby. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thanks I for I love the name on. of your podcast. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I feel like I should be your, like, one-woman marketing team because I've recommended your book to so many people because I've literally never laughed so hard at a book in my lifetime. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you so much. It was love so that. funny. Thank I loved—I knew from the beginning your introduction, if I could just read the first few sentences. I'm standing in the doorway of my closet on the threshold of what happens next, clutching my last shred of personal power, a great big black trash bag into which I want to dump all my clothes. Nothing fits. I don't mean haha, nothing fits. I mean nothing fits. <laughs> so talk to me about how you decided <laughs> how you decided to start your book off this way and how you decided to start your book off at all. I started the book off this way because that's exactly the feeling of this time of my life where I just want to like clear everything out to claim some control over this these years, these grown-up years where everything feels like it's out of my control. I want to dump everything in a trash bag, start over. But at the exact same time, because everything is changing and disappearing, I want to keep everything. So it's it's a push and pull that uh, informs pretty much the whole book and my life at this time, this push and pull between wanting to have some control, feeling I'm losing control and wanting to have some control. I did not set out to write a book. The book came together as a series of stories about little stories about this time of great big transition, just like I had 
for so many years dumped all emotions, all angst, all guilt, all shame, all triumph into the little four boxes of the comic strip. I worked all that stuff out on paper. When everything started changing in such huge ways after I quit the comic strip, I I mean, it's like I had to process it on paper. I mean, I had to, I had to write out what was going on and the act of writing helped me find the humor in situations that were not funny. (laughs) One of the essays is called Novocaine in the Waiting Room. And this grew from like all the essays did from a real experience of me sitting in the dentist's office with, you know, 20 minutes to spare waiting for my appointment time, sobbing over the parenting books in the, in the waiting room, looking at page after page of all the beautiful mother daughter stories in the books, all the things I should have, could have, would have wished I had done with my daughter and desperately wanting to reclaim that time. If I were doing a comic strip, it would just be a, like a little joke about that. But in this essay, in the essay form, I could write about, you know, all the hopes and dreams I had as a mom and what, you know, <laughs> like I thought it would be so easy to add an infant to my life how I could work from home, draw the comic strip with one hand while rocking my baby with the other hand and the versus the reality of, of what happened. And it, it was like a way to work out all of kind of the emotion of that on paper. Well, it came through and was so just relatable and you allowed the reader to sort of laugh along with you at some points. And also, you know, some moments were, were just poignant and sad, that chapter you referenced, you know, that like tugged at the heartstrings. So I feel like in addition to doing a lot of about your mothering, you talked about your sort of daughtering, if you can make that a verb, because you, and I'm going to quote you, you said, I became a full-time mom at the very moment my daughter who was going away to college, decided to reject all input from anyone over age 30. I became a full-time daughter the moment my parents announced they would barricade the front door if I tried to bring in anyone or anything to assist them. So I wanted to know what this moment in time has really been like for you, aside from the fact that now you have to eat chicken that's been in the freezer for like 12 years from your mom's house. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a great big tangle of emotions. It's felt like everything is spinning out of control. You know, I I write about it feeling like the Panini generation where I'm squashed between my parents' generation, trying to care for my aging parents and trying to care for my aging daughter and trying to figure out my own aging body squashed in the middle and not having time to do all the things in life that I thought I could do. And also reflecting on those things like in an essay called The Attack Mom, it's the very real experience of missing my daughter, you know, desperately wanting to talk to her and, be, and to express all the pride and love and encouragement and support when she went away to college. And then ha- waiting in the airport, ready to dump all of that on her when she gets off the plane. And then the second I see her, you know, I criticize her hair. I criticize her, you know, the dumpy clothes she's wearing, the stuff pouring out of her bag. I'm I'm like a one woman home security squad, you know, <laughs> criticizing everything, seeing all the wrong things that she bought off the airplane with her. The book is a lot about the complicated emotions that we have at all times of our life. And it's a lot about like there is, some of the essays are looking back and, and thinking about the ways that my generation thought we were changing the world for women that aren't changed at all. Some ways the world has changed that we did change that I think make it even more complicated for young women. Like in one of the essays is called The Build-A-Boo Workshop, 
where I talk about the difference between my generations where our mom sewed all of sewed little hooks in all of our clothes so the horror of a white bra strap showing wouldn't ever be seen versus my daughter, you know, rushing, go shopping with my daughter who rushes in, you know, toward the magenta push-up power bra with the matching thong that is meant to be displayed. You know, it's meant to be shown on the outside. The essays gave me the freedom to write about the complicated feeling of being part of the generation that liberated women from feeling restricted in how they felt about their bodies. And then now seeing our daughters take that freedom and us feeling like me feeling that it makes the next generation more vulnerable in a way, literally more naked and more vulnerable not right or wrong. It's just complicated. And it was great how you were able to weave in that layer of, you know, parenting in different decades, you know, different eras with all the just moment to moment, you know, crises about parenting and also about, you know, just being a mom yourself. You were talking at one point with a bunch of your fellow mom friends from when your daughter was in kindergarten and you were all sitting around commiserating about taking care of your parents, which I thought was such an interesting moment, you know, interesting vantage point. Can you talk about how it's been trying to, you know, deal with them at the, at the same time or how it was at, at the, during, when you wrote the book? <laughs> Essays like like Helicopter Daughter, like that essay is about trying to get the car keys away from our parents. And literally the challenge where at this age, it feels like we're raising children, except we're being parents to children, except now we're being parents to our parents. And there aren't instruction books and there aren't guides for this time. And there aren't all those books saying this is normal at this stage. And it's the sadness of watching all the developed milestones go backwards. You know, mom and dad could run. Now they can walk. Then they can walk slower. Then they're walking with a walker, et cetera, et cetera. And it's depressing. And it's very comforting, as it always has been, to have the support of other women. And no other women are going through the same things. And, you know, kind of reaching out, reaching out with a hand to each other. In an essay called Helicopter Daughter, I talk about chasing my parents around the house, you know, trying to get them to wear their security alert pendants because to keep them safe when my sisters and I aren't there and how fragile they feel to me, how wonderful it is that they feel so independent that they don't want anybody to think they're old or see anything in their house that makes them look old. They're so independent and yet they seem so fragile to me and it's, it's scary. You know, it's scary to be a parent to my parents and it's a little bit sad and it helps me a lot to help me process it by working it out in the essays. And the humor again, was just so, I mean, you were so funny. Like this, the chapter when you were helping your, with the electron, the laptop where it was duct taped down to the desk and you were trying to get your, your dad to move it. And he was saying the battery might not be charged. And you were like, it's been charging for three years. Like just so funny. I mean, oh my gosh. Anyway, it was hilarious. I also like how you have just sort of a commentary on life as it is today in your chapter. I would wash my hands of this if only I could. You talk about how you can't get those automatic sinks to work in the ladies room. And I was laughing so hard. I have this same thing. I felt like I personally was cursed. Like I'm the only one who can't figure those things out. So <laughs> I was just wondering. What is that? I don't and, know. It's crazy. <laughs> like why? Who thought that would be easier? And those, little, those little moments stack up on us. You know, when you look around and even the old ladies, even the little tiny 
toddlers are sticking their hands under the sink and it's recognizing them as human life forms, you know, getting water, they can get soap, they can get the towels. And when I stick my hand under the same sink, nothing happens. It's like I don't exist to the automatic <laughs> hand washing system. And they're, you know, and okay, they're frustrating little moments and they're, it's frustrating to even be bothered by the moments. But I'm saying that those little moments where the world seems to work differently for everybody else than it works for me, they stack up in us and on us. And by the end of the day, a day that starts out so triumphantly, when all those little things stack up on us, it, it kind of chips away at your sense of confidence and competence and your sense of yourself. And we need to, you know, we need to know what's happening for everybody. That's very comforting for me. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> you also, another essay that I was like crying laughing at was when you were in the sporting goods store and you were trapped in the sports bra in the dressing room. And you said, I've been stuck in this sports bra for 17 minutes, have contorted my body every way possible to get out of it. Tried to wrench it upward, tug it downward, pry it away from my crushed rib cage. You just go on and on about it. And until you're like imagining you're going to be found in that dressing room and never escape. And it's just <laughs> like, it's, it's just so great. Cause I mean, how great to 
shine light on, as you said, these little frustrations that make up life. <laughs> when you're going through these moments, are you think are you thinking to yourself like, oh my gosh, I have to write this as an essay? I'm not thinking I have to write it, but I do. But I, yeah, when I got home from those moments, I, I did write it and I found comfort in writing it out exactly like I used to find comfort in writing the comic strip. And that, but I love that I could go on, I could make kind of a bigger point about some things. Like in that essay, I have the time and space in that essay to talk about how sports bras are a perfect example of something that was invented for women that should liberate women to, you know, participate in sports. It's a very freeing, it should be a very freeing piece of clothing. You know, it makes it possible for women to run and play all those sports like the boys do, you know, <laughs> and yet <laughs> if you can get one on, uh, most of us can't get it off. And so it's not, you know, it kind of becomes like a lot of things invented for women that seem like they're making the world better for us are actually just constricting us in new and differently packaged ways. And, you know, it, it kind of helps to be aware of that. It's like how my generation burned us and got rid of girdles. That was done. We were free of that. We now can love our beautiful, healthy bodies in all shapes and forms. My generation helped liberate us. I was in the airport yesterday. You know, there's a Spanx store in the in almost every airport I go into, as though a woman can't like even get on a plane without buying the new, new version of the girdle, which is like pretty much just to me. Spanx intended to help mold a person's body into a shape that it isn't exactly. And why are we doing that at a time when we're supposed to feel so good about ourselves? It's complicated. That's all I can say. (laughs) And it links back to all all the time you spend writing about food, right? And trying to find comfort from food yourself. And then obviously the after effects, like the scene you wrote when you were counting out the almonds and trying to measure, because of course the the 436 grams of almonds, like what does that even mean when you were trying to portion it out for yourself? I just love your inner dialogue about eating. Well, and there is also an essay called My Meaningless Six Minutes my meaningless midlife six minute fling where I write about the experience I've had sadly (laughs) way more than one time where I'm in the grocery store and realize that the single serving snack bag that I picked up and ate while I was shopping intending of course to pay for it, but I ate it during the course (laughs) of the shopping, realizing that it didn't contain one serving. It contained, you know, six servings (laughs) and realizing that in my first few minutes of shopping, I've now eaten more calories than I'm supposed to eat in an entire day just because, <laughs> you know, I didn't squint hard enough at the, at the label. And then you cheat on your Fitbit. <laughs> I cheated on my Fitbit. Yes, I did. That was a powerful moment where I walked out of the house without anything counting my steps. So fun. And going back to the food and how the, I watched my daughter criticizing me for my relationship with Cool Whip, <laughs> loved which is part of a long, long list of foods that are not allowed in my house under any circumstances because, man, I just, I just eat it, eat it frozen solid. <laughs> Did you say you wanted to go back to talking about the eating or was it about the Cool Whip? Well, the interesting thing about eating, I, I also make some comparisons with men in the book. And, you know, men don't count their food. And it seems like women, I measure all food, like the almond essay, but I measure all food. I never have eaten a bowl of cereal in my life without measuring it. I cheat because I always have a little bit extra and I always congratulate myself with celebratory servings that I, <laughs> you know, spill on the counter. <laughs> but 
when I talk about being married for a period of time and the difference between the relationship with food that women have and the relationship with food that men have, and it's, it's just wrong. Men have a lot more time and a lot more freedom in their lives. That's all I can say. It's among the things that are not our fault. I saw on Instagram that you were at a book signing recently with your mom, and I was wondering how your family feels about all the things that you talked about in the book about them and like the adopting adopting your daughter and just all the stuff about your family. Are they happy? I mean, she looked she certainly looked very proud. I'm sure she is. Are they? Did they feel comfortable with that? Yeah, my mom has always had my mom in the book. I write about her being age 90. Now she's 97, and oh. she not only did the book signing things the other day, but I'm the narrator on the audio book for 50 Things That Aren't My Fault. And mom did the, mom narrated the mom parts of many of the essays in the 50 Things That Aren't My Fault, which is just, of course, an unbelievably meaningful thing for me to have mom's voice on, on my audio book. But also it was a blast for mom. She has always had a great capacity for complete denial if she doesn't want to admit that it was her in the comic strip <laughs> and doesn't want to admit that it's her in the book. So she has a great sense of humor about herself. And when she doesn't have a sense of humor, then she just pretends I'm writing about somebody else. So that's <laughs> a beautiful thing. That's <laughs> and for my daughter, we've, you know, we've been through the worst mother-daughter years. And we're now, I think, in the best ones where she and I are our best, best friends. And I write more, much more in 50 things that aren't my fault. I write because I never had a child. Kathy never had a kid in the comic strip. And this book is much more about the circle of life, about being a mother, daughter, mother, daughter, being part of that circle. And my daughter appreciates her part in it. And I think she really appreciates the fact that the essays I wrote about mother, daughter things, I wrote much more from the point of view of me as her mom, not who she was and is. Yep. You know, the challenges of being her mom. One of the very first essays I did after I had quit the strip and after I'd had this long year of her, you know, being her mom while she went through her last year of high school, she was about to leave for college. And I was walking through the house in this, she wasn't home. She, I was walking through the house of this trail of her belongings through the house, the sweatshirts, the tank tops, the jewelry, the you know, all the stuff a teenage daughter leaves lying around. I was walking through the trail of the house, just overwhelmed with grief that this time of life was over. She was about to move to college and it would never, ever be the same with her. I had quit the strip. I'd had this time and now it was done, never coming back. And just the profound quiet and loneliness and emptiness of that. And then I realized that she had already left for college two days before. <laughs> this wasn't what she was taking. This trail of her belongings was all the stuff she had left in the house for me to pick up. And then I moved from being grief stricken to being irritated, you know, with myself that I'd never taught her, you know, how to pick up, how to take care of her stuff. Why was she, you know, she was so spoiled that, you know, that she left it all for mom to do. And I, I wound up just on the bed of her room, surrounding myself with stuffed animals and just sort of crying into the complicated emotions of all of that, of everything I hoped and dreamed for her, everything I wanted for her, everything she is, and just, you know, the combination of sadness and irritation. That circumstance became the start of an essay, one of my favorite essays in the book called It Took a Village, where I talk about all that. 
the loss and the happiness and the the letting go and the hanging on and just what it's like to be a mom. It was just so great that you shared your experience. It was, I mean, one of the best I've read, really. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors now that you've made it through your your amazing book? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've never made anything up. I'll just say that. I just always, sometimes it takes a while to get to the truth of things. But, you know, I've always just written honestly from exactly what's going on in my life. And I think that when people do that, that it's, you know, sort of magically relatable to other people. It seems like we all go through a lot of the same things. Well, I would I would definitely call this book magically relatable. That was a great way to put it. So thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and, and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Today's episode was sponsored by Cereal Box, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com, CerealBox.com, delivering addictive book content in short listen or read installments. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit